In this session, we will be discussing the importance of effective career guidance for students in international schools, considering different regions and contexts around the world. We'll also be considering the skills students should be developing uh, now to prepare themselves for the future world of work, current career guidance best practices, and the ever-changing landscape of post-school options and how career guidance in schools may develop into the future, especially given the rise in popularity of alternative pathways to university. Welcome um, to everyone on the call. Um, delighted to be joined by you. Um, and yeah, if we can just maybe kick off with the first question um, to consider, um, why is the role of career guidance and self-discovery for students so important in a school, international school setting? Who'd like to kick off with that? I'm happy to. Sean, go for it. I think from the perspective of an external provider, um, I think many students are constrained by um, exam curricula. Uh, you know, most of the school, most of the school work is is and, and their time at school is spent preparing for exams. And so, I think um, university guidance counselors, career counselors, place uh, have a really important role in terms of um, whilst also focusing on that the university and career application um, or dis discovery phase, but also uh, trying to help each student discover what's important to them, you know, what's, uh, what's, what are their own interests, what are their own motivators, um, helping them to develop their own sense of self so that um, those kind of interests and motivators that they discover on the way will help them to ultimately decide on the right university and career for them. And Becca, do you want to jump in there at all? Uh, yeah, uh, I also feel, I mean, apart from what Sean said, I also feel that, uh, you know, different countries, they have uh, their own culture and things with which no matter how international a school is, there are certain principles which is followed even though the school is international. So it is important that the schools don't just work only by the name of international, but more to do with international culture. Um, and I think students uh, are very comfortable and they are in a small bubble when they are in their own country, but when they go abroad, the lifestyle, the way um, things work. So international schools should also introduce those general survival skills, if I, if I can call that because I think getting them to understand it right now in a school so that they can actually transit to a university in a better manner, that is something which I feel, especially when it comes to you know, my school in India, I think introducing them, not like fully, but at least making them aware that um, you know, uh, there are certain ways in which you need to behave, be it being empathetic, being it be a team player, uh, helping your friends, you know, and uh, those are the, like the, those basic qualities which I feel that students should realize because work and studies, they are already in tune to how it plays on. But then university life is not just about, or the, you know, outside world, outside school is not just about only studies it's like your overall development so having a self-discovery on that basis i feel like it's really important to just have those basic qualities and and Bika, actually on that 
So basically, uh, we are having a you know kind of a career day. That's just just a start where because I think a lot of kids when they come to me and they say law, they basically have the idea of you know the the serial suits. You know the house how those work. So and when I when I when they come up to me about forensic science, they usually come up with the CSI Miami. What happens in there? The fancy stuff of the working world, but they actually don't know exactly. That's not just about that. So on in in the month of Jan, um, me and my head of secondary, we all kind of decided to give them a. Um, you know, kind of a gist about what exactly goes in the real work world, so that they and these are parents who are participating. So it's a parent-student kind of an interaction because I'm sure a lot of the kids don't even know what their parents are actually going through in their own workplace, how much they have to struggle, how much effort they have to put in. So this is just a parent teaching the children how the real world works. what kind of you know how you have to deal with the problems because right at this moment it's all facilitated to them to the best of the facilities they don't even have to lift a finger so this is something which we just started then slowly we are going to start with um personality development we are also planning on introducing how to run a washing machine how to uh, separate the colors to the whites and how to boil water you know the, the 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 basic survival stuff so we are planning on slowly introducing it and these we are going to start with a grade 10 11 and 12 and this is going to happen in the month of jan feb march so this is something which we thought that it's really important because trust me some of the kids they just have two people who just going to open the car's door they're just going to come down the bags are you know carried out not till the classroom at least to the lift and these are like highly privileged kids so we want them they are not going to be carrying those helpers again to the university for them to help it out so this is something which we all just quite a few of the teachers and homeroom advisors we just came up with after realizing that these some of our kids need these basic basic information and they also need to know how they have to survive on their own without you they can't just call their parents and say oh i need a helper and then they arrange a helper when us or uk or canada they can do that but that's not going to be a lifelong learner like ib is all about being lifelong learners so you have to learn on your own so this is something which we have introduced so we are starting with the parents talking about their careers and then we are going to talk about life skills and some of the basic first hand stuff that they need to learn when they have to go to college and we'll we'll touch on a few of these best practices in in a couple of questions time but um yeah just sort of just sitting on that piece around the importance of self discovery um you know finally um Alison Emma any any thoughts around that from from your different perspectives okay guy um on my side what we do is that we devise a career plan and uh, in some of these things as she has mentioned equipping them with the basic life skills but when it comes to the academic part what kind of career choices are you going to do so here i devise it using the cluster careers try to see the basic skills that are required and then i try to encourage them to do a survey i happen to have a group of alumni 
who have been so attached to the school. So what they do, we have either invited them in person or we organize a Skype session and they come out to tell them the real life experience, especially on this other part, the social part. I've really found it very um, insightful when they tell them their, their personal experiences of when they transition to uh, university. So it prepares them to tell them the sense of direction of where they are going. Then also in the academic part, some of them are able to share them the right kind of career uh, paths kids can take. For example, one of the girls uh, who studied in Carlton told my students that if you want to do a career in chemical engineering, I'm afraid there are no uh, options of, I mean, job options after. I think for the university, it's another way of making profit. This is one thing she shared. And I think she managed to give evidence of some of her peers who took the course. So they are in the thing, they're able to share with them some of the relevant courses, some of the uh, uh, recent courses that they have integrated, those that are marketable. For example, I think now the booming uh, programs or courses are mainly inclined to digital things like uh, computer science, AI, data science, so she's she was able to update them. So it gives them a right sense. Then also another thing, we also have to involve the parents. Uh, like for example, currently here in my situation, some parents are opting to take a gap year because of this economic downturn. Uh, if not, we advise them maybe to think of other options of maybe choosing a much uh, affordable college or university to fit in, to help the child to uh, join so that they're not left redundant. So those are some of the things I'm doing here on my side. Excellent, thanks. And finally, Alison. Uh, yeah, I was just re, I was looking at the question again. And for me, there are three parts to it. The role of career guidance, self-discovery for students and the setting itself. And I think career guidance in any school is really important because it gives the students an, a much wider lens to think about the purpose of their learning and actually similar to what Stephen was talking about, about the constraints of a curriculum, um, that getting them to think about careers and, and how they're then learning and their skills and their knowledge apply in the real world is, is ne has never been more important in my opinion and actually career guidance and the person that's in that position um, can really open their eyes and, and get them to think about possibilities but also gives them purpose and meaning to their learning, I think. And the self-discovery element, I think that that comes, they go hand in hand, but it's really important that, that we are considering giving the space and the time for students to think about who they are and how that aligns with what they want to do. Um, because that for me leads to authentic choices. They make, they make more authentic choices in their education and their learning and likelihood of success later in life and being happy in their career I think is is much greater when they've really been able to think about these things um, for, from their own standpoint and the setting itself I think maybe I know we'll come to this a little bit later but maybe there is uh, a slightly different approach internationally versus 
um, gener generally in a school. Um, but I think it's really important for us to remember that the students that we work with in an international school potentially are studying here, going to study somewhere else, and then eventually working somewhere else again. And actually, how do we shift and support students who might be experiencing multiple changes in their lives and, and multiple changes in their careers within different settings. And, and I think um, Ambika and Emma were talking a bit about the cultural aspects of that being really important as well. So those were the things I was thinking of listening to people speak. And, and sort of looking at that sort of changing world of work as well, um, what are some of the key skills that each of you feel students should really be acquiring to, to really fully prepare themselves for this sort of ever-changing, fast-changing world of work that, that we see ourselves with the integration of technology, et cetera? Um, be great to get your thoughts on those sort of future-proof skills. Emma, yes, go for it. The one basic thing we need to equip the students currently now are the digital skills because as we are witnessing the rapid transformation of the digital world it's now real i could give evidence on the recent uh, i usually like looking at real life experiences we've all seen how what how these big um, companies media companies have downsized their staff and basically when i looked at it it's all revolving around technology. The same thing has happened in our country. We have some regional companies in the media and some of the banking systems, they did downsize. And when I did an investigation, they were cutting off many employees who did not have or who are not digitally competent. So we need to emphasize whatever program every child may pursue let them have the digital skills aside. That's one thing I have currently identified. Whatever field you're taking, you must be digitally competent or you won't fit. And the same goes to the teachers, I think. We should also sensitize in other subjects. They too also must be um, digitally competent because I do sometimes have challenges like when I'm trying to look around or get uh, the teachers write, uh, gather comments to write for the recommendations. So you tell them, can you send them my email? It's some of them have a struggle. So I identify that many of them haven't sharpened their skills. Realities hit when we went online. Many of our teachers weren't digitally competent. It was actually the students supporting them on how to run. And this was also a learning curve that we as teachers, we also need to refresh and equip ourselves with the new digital skills. Thank you. That's one I've identified. Excellent. Sean and Bika, what about yourselves? Yeah, from, from my perspective, digital skills are really important. They're probably one of the top priorities for students in terms of hard skills to learn. And I think Though if we're talking about also the soft skills that students should develop, I think there's adaptability um, and resilience that um, particularly in, in nowadays it, with the idea of a career being more of a portfolio career, that is you know, a career that encompasses several different jobs in, in one lifetime. I think students 
um, in this kind of context of a rapidly changing uh, technological order need to uh, understand and uh, accept, but also thrive in uh, in environments where uh, where there is a lot of change. And um, in order to do that, I think um, you know, being adaptable, being resilient, um, is particularly important. I think you know in recent weeks we've seen um, in the media a lot of interest around artificial intelligence and the Chat GPT um, AI model, which shows the potential to really revolutionize um, any field related to sort of content production. Um, and um, I think it also threatens many jobs that exist out there at the moment. So I think getting the getting students used to the idea of change, getting them used to being adaptable, building that you know, mental um, muscle that is resilience is, is really important as well. Absolutely. And we'll be looking at how how some each some of you know how each of you have done integrated this into your sort of best practices um when talking to students in in, in a minute. But um yeah, Alison and Becky, any final thoughts on on that? Okay, I just okay. wanted to add one other thing. Uh when you look at the younger generation, this is the personal survey I have done. Uh when I ask them where do you see yourselves in the next 20 years, many of them don't really want to be attached into the, these big organizations. Many of them want to carve out and become independent. So what does that tell us? We also need to tell them the emphasis of having an entrepreneurial mindset. So also having those entrepreneurial skills should be necessary, or we should emphasize them to, have, to be equipped with them. Many of them say they don't see themselves working long-term in any of the organizations. And others were telling me, if this doesn't work, I'll move on to something. So I'm looking at also to prepare them to be diverse or to diversify their career paths. That is some of the survey I did with some of my students. Maybe I could share with you and it could be of use. Thank you. Yeah, I was, I was just about to, you know, agree with what Sean said that, you know, being adaptable is very, very important because uh, along with that, probably critical thinkers and problem solvers, because exactly like what Emma also said, some of them, they just shut themselves off, like, for example, even a simple subject, what they have chosen for their IB. And if they feel that math at certain level, whether it's AI or AA, if they don't like it, they just come back after two months and say, oh, miss, I want to change this because I, I feel like I don't, I'm not able to cope up. But they, without even trying, if you just plan on giving up, you, if you are not able to solve that problem as to why you're not able to cope up with a certain subject at a certain level, I think that is something which we need to prepare our kids. Obviously, yes, adaptability is really, really important because you are going from one culture to another, you're going from one setup to another, be it, you know, you call a school to university, be it from India to some other countries, they all have their own stuff with which they have to deal with. So I think being critical thinkers, being problem solvers and being adaptable, these are some of the main traits which I feel a student should develop before they graduate from high school. Alison, any final thoughts there? Um, 
I missed a couple of those points, but I agree with, with everything everybody else has said. And also to say that actually employers today are not necessarily looking for employees that have all of the knowledge and all of the skills, but actually it's their, their personality and, and their you know ability to learn new things and be be able to pivot and, and be resilient in, in the face of challenges. So it's that's why for me education should be holistic because we're not only um cultivating graduates that are leaving with good grades, hopefully, but actually whole people that are able to then go into the world of work and be successful and be employable at the end of the day. So I think that's the point of the skills themselves is that they are employable um, for the long term uh, and not just for the next job that they're applying for. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I think I completely agree with that. I think it's, I think, um, it's, it's about a lot about attitude as well. Um, and your attitude to new challenges, to learning new things, learning new skills, um, which is going to be really important, more, more so now than ever. Hmm. Absolutely. And sort of given given all these different, you know, the change of what to work and, and the different skills students now need to develop, um, soft and, and harder skills, digital skills, et cetera, um, in each of your different contexts, um, you know, coming from, from very different regions around the world, um, what what... You know, what, what does career guidance best practice look like to you um, at the moment, currently, um, in, in your region, like I said, given all these different uh, different skills students now need to develop in this ever-changing world of work? Um, can you talk to it, just a couple of, of points um, around best practice, what that looks like to you? Um, I'll jump in there. And I think career guidance is, I would say, it's every teacher's job to, to you know, obviously they're advocating for their own subjects and pathways within and beyond those those subject specialisms that they have but it's not one person's job to educate and guide students in that sense it's that all adults that are working in the school system have an obligation and a responsibility in that sense um, and I think best practice can hugely be influenced by the context, by the organizational culture, um, by the systems in place in that country even. So we're talking micro, but also macro. So that the, the people that are working within the organization, but also the, the possibilities and support systems in place on a national scale as well. And that's what I think I found tricky working in this role in a, in a context that I'm not as familiar with um, is knowing what best practice should look like because you know we're not necessarily as accountable in terms of benchmarks um, and Ofsted and things like that so how do we still ensure that we're delivering good practice and best practice but also making sure that we are in line with what else is happening around the world and I think for most career guidance practitioners a huge part of their job is research and keeping up to date with what is best practice and I think that that is our responsibility as well. Hmm. Yeah, Emma and Vicka, what about yourselves? Okay, when it comes to my region, I think we still have a very, very big challenge. Now, this is my personal experience because um, I think many schools here are more inclined to the business part, but you know, it's not just making the money, but how are you transforming these children to become productive uh, citizens in society? I have done my benchmarking in some of the schools because sometimes I've also had some young students from other international schools coming to ask me, 
you know, I'm applying, but I'm trying to get a recommendation done, but the teacher keeps shutting me out. So we do have a big uh, challenge in that we don't have competent career guidance teachers in our schools. Many schools, this is what they do. They just rely on agents, which I don't believe in. And then maybe annually one school does organize career fairs and uh, may, they do bring the experts who talk to the kids, but I feel that is not enough time to impart their valuable knowledge. So we still have a challenge of having competent uh, career counselors in my region. I could map out two schools that have, including mine because I got the training, but the two schools that turn out is Rainbow and ISU. These are one of the oldest and they have had uh, uh, inductive training for, to the teachers. And also they keep upgrading or doing a lot of research to keep on track. But in most schools, it's just finish, get your grades, apply, go to an agent and that is it. And this is where the hiccups come. You find many kids now dissatisfied in the choices they've made. So we do still have the challenge. Rainbow did arrange one induction. I think it was in 2019. I did participate, but I had earlier on had some previous training, but I just wanted maybe for the sake of updating. But when I asked our trainer to follow up or get an update, or a feedback of the trainees. And he told me, Emma, it seems just some people just came for the purpose of sitting, getting the certificate. Many of them haven't implemented, which is really so sad. So we do still have a big challenge here. Many of the students rely on uh, the agents, as I've mentioned, or they just wait for the annual career fair where many universities are brought in and they get to meet uh, the advisors who can recommend, but which is not really enough. So there's really an uphill task for us to do. I have benchmarked with Kenya and Rwanda. They are, they are on track. At least you can see there's a competence of the teachers there. So that's what I can share in my region, in my country. Thanks, Anna. Uh, well, I think uh, we also have the same problem what uh, Emma just spoke about, about having an external education consultancies. We have a lot of them, and especially in Mumbai, where I'm based right now, we have so many of them. You already, some students even have two of them. Uh, but then I have kind of, this, you know, come up with how I can cope up with the suggestions, what they have, you know, they suggest, because it's usually I sit with the parents with their child's whole profile, the teacher's feedback, because it's very difficult to convince them of just by saying, um, I don't think your child fits in. But then, then again, the argument comes in saying that, oh, no, my external counselor just said that this is what it is. And then there comes the whole um, psychometric test, which is, again, you know, it's a test. But then again, the numbers and answers kind of come up to these careers. But I just nowadays have started questioning them back, like what is the credibility of the test, what you have got your child done? Trust me, everybody, everybody in grade nine and 10, everybody does a psychometric test. 
And this is what I've seen in my, this is my sixth year at ECO. And this is what I've seen that there is at least a 60% of the test going in another direction of what they had suggested in the test. The test would have suggested some engineering, but child would have landed up studying liberal arts or maybe economics or maybe business management because it's not a reliable and you can't plan your child's future based on a test that depends on the mood of the child, what was going through in the child's mind when he was he or she was taking the test. So now what I have decided to do is it's a bit of a counterattack, but then um, I question them based on all the crime, you know, uh, all the uh, facts that I have in hand with the child because we see the child like eight hours in a day. Monday to Friday. So the teachers, I get teachers feedback before a meeting is done. I ask them, what do you feel about this child's participation in class, knowledge of the subject, the topic? And then when I have this meeting, I sit with them and I say, this is what your child's overall personality is and what I have got from the teacher's feedback. Now, then you, then they give me the whole big list of the Ivy Leagues, the UCs and the LSE and <laughs> Cambridge, Oxford. But then I just make want to make them understand this is a best practice for me, which I'm trying from my end to make them understand whether the child is going to survive for that all four, three years of, uh, I won't say struggle, but the competition that comes with the ranking of the universities, because I've seen a lot of kids who study so hard and the grade 9, 10, 11, 12, they carry so much of a burden, they are like lost you know, dawn of walking dead, walking on the corridor with a lot of tension. And then I tell them that, do you want the same kind of a thing? Because the kids, trust me, when they are with the parents, they have a different, they literally nod their head for everything the parents say. And the parents would have heard it from the, because society plays a very important role. And parents want to hold their head high saying, oh, my child got into Stanford, my child got into UPenn. But are you also thinking of from the child's perspective whether your child is going to survive the four years? Hmm. So I try my best. I know I may not be 100% successful, but at least I I won't say it's for my own satisfaction, but at least I am trying. I'm trying to make them understand whether this particular university, what you have in mind and what your child, what you're pushing your child to be there, will is that the right choice for your child? So I want my kids to be happy. I want them to enjoy their four year of undergraduation, love what they want to do, not just the subject. This is something which is best practice for me. And I am I know that I'm trying my 200 percent in getting that, whether how much of a success I get in, I get success like probably 70 percent. But there is that, you know, again, for a 30 percent, which I'm lo I'm losing it. But then that's OK. But at least I'm happy that I tried my best. But I am now on the verge of trying to make my parents understand that. Are you really thinking from your child's perspective or are you thinking from the society and your own status perspective? Because this is two different things. Um, yeah, just, just the parental expectations and, um, and yeah, the sort of the, the new, well, the, the current world of work, it, it can be very, very different. Those two sort of two mindsets can be quite uh, opposing. Um, how, how do each of you just, just very quickly, how do each of you sort of think about um, talking to parents? How do you communicate with parents around this? And because um, it is a sensitive topic um, and they have expectations in their own mind. They're the ones paying the fees. How, how, how do you, how do you approach that conversation with parents and and try and, 
you know make them aware of the fact that it you know it's not not just their own more traditional mindsets um there are you know the the students that, that need to be that need to be considered as the most important thing right and then you want them to be happy in in their in their lives so how how do you go about that conversation uh i can just quickly answer that you know like exactly what like uh, you know what i said max that uh, as counselors all we can do is suggest them, talk to them, try our best to make them understand. Because more than, I don't think we can do more than that because at the end of the day, it's a decision that the parent has to make. And it's also the child's future because they are the one who's gonna pay for the tuition fee and everything. But all as counselor we can do is try to put all the facts in front of them, make them understand how it's gonna look like, probably give them some examples and also, I also, you know, go ahead and if I have any of my alumni who have gone to a certain university, I try to make them get in touch with those kids. And if not anything, I know who, which one dropped out from which university and what was the reason. So if I know that the child um, who, whose parents are planning for a certain university for the child to get in, then I try to have a session, not just for one parent, but for mostly like a coffee morning for half an hour where we pick up these topics like surviving in an Ivy League and, you know, um, how you have to prepare for your SATs and some of the topics which I feel may not be, but indirectly also talks about the struggle that comes with the baggage that comes with getting into an Ivy League and studying at an Ivy League. So it may not be a direct kind of an um you know a uh, session within that but then it's an information plus it talks about what is the baggage that you have to bear while you go to these universities because everybody has an expectations i understand that because parents also have an expectations but at the end of the day the trend is that we want our kids to be happy we want our students to be happy and you can get the gpa that is needed by a certain university only if you are studying in a happy environment which you really want to study in. Mm -hmm. And not just because you are going to a certain university because of a parent pressure. So all you can do is just whatever best you can to make everybody understand, just get that done, do that and make them help them understand. But then the rest is again, parents and students, yeah. Provide all the information, yeah. Emma, Sean, Alison, what about yourselves in regards to combating uh, or including parents in that conversation? I think I'll agree with Ambika. What I also do, we do, I organize parent sessions. As she mentioned, try to tell them the criteria that is used in accepting kids in different universities. I also put emphasis on the acceptance rates of these universities and also give them other options. As we know, most parents still have the challenge of having a mindset shift but in the end, as she said, we can also have kids coming to give a testimony of their experiences, what they've been through, and trying to encourage the parents to have an open mind, to be open-minded and also respect uh, the child's interest. As we see, we are living in different generations. The younger generation is really so energetic. I think parents need to understand who their children are. We still have that traditionalism in most of us, but we, I try to encourage the uh, parents 
to be open-minded and also respect uh, the child's choices and interests. Thank you. Yeah, similar here. I think we try to encourage I mean, I think parent education is a really important thing here, and we can't expect them to know about 21st century careers, knowing careers as, as they grew up knowing it, um, and some do, um, but many don't. They still think quite traditionally, doctor, engineer, and so on. So it's parent education to a certain extent, but it's also that collaborative approach. Um, I think Ambika mentioned coffee mornings. We do a lot of things like that where we're having these conversations early um, to help them to understand that, for example, if it's university that they're looking at, that it's a best fit approach. And there are many factors that go into a best fit approach, academic match, financial match, cultural fit, and so on. And so, and we find when we do these collaborative workshops that they're really well received and the parents are like, oh, we didn't know that. Um, and there is an element of ensuring that they feel heard, um, but also we try to empower the students to take ownership and to be the ones that, you know, even in year nine and year 11, when they're booking appointments to talk about their subject options, sometimes the parents will step in and say, can we have a meeting with the student? And it's like, well, actually, let's hear what the student has to say first. And then if we need to in involve them in the conversation, of course we will. Um, but it's making sure that the student has a voice and the parents feel heard too, and that there's some education on our part. It's quite a difficult one, I think. Hmm. Excellent. Brilliant. And, and just sort of just now, now just sort of moving on to this sort of practical and actionable strategies that each of you have used, you know, coffee mornings, parent workshops, that kind of thing. Um, is there one or two other things that um, each of you tried that you found to be quite successful um, that parents have really reacted to, responded well to, um, students have, have really, you know, liked or engaged with? Um, yeah, if, if each of you could share one or two of those sort of practical, um, actionable steps that you've taken in your school, that would be great. Emma, what, what about, let's, let's start with yourself shall we okay so what i've done after we discuss i try to make sure that we make a follow-up uh, both with the parents and uh, the child of interest to see whether they have uh, come to a common ground usually in the end i think I do ask the students, what are your parents thinking about this? Then on the side, I also try to talk to personally with the parents minus the kids to tell them, look, this is your child's future. So if you've got to do it, try to respect what your, uh, your child wants to become. So sometimes what I do, I try to make a follow-up on separately for both. And in the end, I've seen remarkable results. Some, some, in the end, some parents say, you know what? I think you are right here. This is what my uh, son or daughter should be doing. Later on, we, I try to tell them as we, as adults, that we need to, times have changed. I also try to give them as an example, what I, as a parent, what I've, I've shared my own example with, one, with my son. He wanted, uh, I wanted him to be, a doctor, he said, no, I want to do public health. So I said, okay, let you be. And he said, mom, you see, he's, he challenged me and said, you thought I couldn't do it. And he's very happy. So I used myself as a parent 
the, the remarkable results I have achieved from my own personal son. Mm. So that follow up, constant follow up and action plan, see how far we've gone and see what intended goal we had set has been achieved. That's what I do. Excellent. And Becca, what about yourself? Some, you mentioned a couple previously. Yeah, I think we, the other thing which we also kind of, um, you know, as teachers, because uh, we kind of decided is that trying to put parents in the student's shoes so that they understand exactly what the students have to go through in their day-to-day -day, uh, school lives. And one of that was uh, one of my TOK teacher who tried to take a TOK session with the parents. It was like a kind of a workshop where we gave them a topic and then we made them into a group. They had to come up with the, it was exactly like a TOK session. I did one session on writing personal statement so that I wanted to know exactly how the parents write it. Mm. And I, I think um, I think these are small, small things which we kind of, it, it, it's not been done. It was actually before COVID, which I kind of tried it because I really wanted them to understand because some parents, they just say, how difficult it is to write an essay? How difficult is it you know, to write a personal statement? It's just 4,000 characters with spaces for UK, so they can write it, but then they just don't understand how much of a thought process goes in there, plus kids have their assessments, their assignments, there are you know, other submissions which they have to do, plus the college application. So I kind of thought that I think we, you know, everybody should have a taste of what a student goes in each and every day of their life. And I think that kind of was a, I felt like that was a really good, um, you know, insight with the parent had to do where we, I did invite other subject teachers also who were talking about some of the topics. Some parents could relate to it. And some parents were like, you know, again, like how my kids were like sitting and probably just wondering what was happening in there. But then I think these small, small uh, inclusion of parents in each and everything that you do may not be very frequently, but at least once in a while is kind of important so that they understand exactly what the kids have to be. Because having in somebody else's shoe is really, really important for them one, to understand exactly what he or she is going through while you kind of sit there on the other side and dictate things. So yeah, that is one of the things which we kind of thought of doing. Fantastic. Finally, Alison, any, any thoughts on that um, practical actionable um, step that you've taken? Yeah, I was just thinking maybe a bit broader that I think maybe the most successful strategies that I've tried and implemented have been introducing career thinking at a younger age. And I think involving even year seven, year eight, in possibly even primary school, in engaging with, with career education at a younger age. Actually, they were really receptive to it and, and curious about it. And things like masterclasses, guest speakers for me are always really successful. They love to hear from people in the field who have that tangible experience that we can, in a one-to-one in a -one guidance meeting, we it's really difficult to bring that, that real life element. And I think earlier on, Vika was talking about students articulating that they wanted to study law and it was based on the kind of um, glamorized uh, depiction of law in the media. But actually when students hear a lawyer speak, they're like, oh, 
that's not what I thought my day-to-day -day job would be. Um, so I think it's engaging um, and giving them opportunities to have meaningful encounters with careers, which obviously things like work experience, but also bringing people into the school setting and involving students in younger year groups. For me, those are some of the most impactful things that I've done. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Any other final thoughts before we before we finish up? And uh, we we yeah just briefly touched on on a sort of virtual hybrid um, work experience as well. That's maybe something we could look at in in a follow up discussion. But I think that's another whole conversation that would be great to to touch on when um, we have more time next time. But um yeah, any other final final thoughts before we finish? No? All good. Fantastic. Well, it's been a great conversation. Thank you guys so much. Um, yeah, really, really fascinating to hear your different insights, especially from your different regions and backgrounds. So yeah, thank you once again for joining and um, yeah, look forward to, to a part two session soon.